Welcome to the Refugee Portal Podcast, recorded at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. My name is Tarek. And I'm Yusuf. The Refugee Portal Podcast interviews, shares, and learns from the stories of refugees, as well as the perspective of academics, humanitarian workers, members of government, and other stakeholders. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewees and do not necessarily reflect those of the Refugee Portal Podcast or its hosts. All right, let's get right into it. Our interview today is with Rabbi Philip Bregman, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Shalom and the current Rabbi of Hilal House UBC. He received his BA from the University of Toronto and his rabbinic ordination from Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem. Rabbi Bregman started his activist journey in high school where he founded a chapter of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. The SCLC is an African-American civil rights organization which is closely associated with its first president, civil rights leader, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who was later assassinated for his nonviolent work of peace and equality. His most treasured possession is actually a letter from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. thanking him for his support and work. Beginning in 1980, he led Temple Shalom of Vancouver as their senior rabbi. He raised the congregation there from 70 to 700 families during his tenure. Throughout his role as the spiritual leader of the congregation, he has inspired and touched the hearts of many people in Vancouver and around the world. He has been a longtime friend and passionate advocate of Hilal International, which is a Jewish campus organization. Hilal is represented at more than 550 colleges and communities throughout North America and globally, including 30 communities in the former Soviet Union, 9 in Israel, and 5 in South America. Rabbi Bregman is a leader in Jewish education, young adult initiatives, fostering relationships within the Jewish community, and interfaith dialogue. Our conversation with him today looks at how the Jewish community is supporting refugees locally and internationally. We discuss work done by the Joint Distribution Committee, which is a Jewish relief organization based in New York City and founded in 1914. We learn about the founding of Agahose Shalom Youth Village, which is a home for orphans of the genocide as well as from AIDS in Rwanda. We look at work done by Jewish organizations around the world, including in countries such as Rwanda, Bosnia, Vietnam, the former USSR countries, and Ethiopia. We speak with him about how his successor at Temple Shalom, Rabbi Dan Muskovitz, and the Jewish community in Vancouver are helping Syrian refugees. And lastly, we discuss how he is a key supporter of Taste of Coexistence, which sees two restaurants, one operated by a Palestinian and one by an Israeli, come together to share with the public what they have in common, as well as meals from both their restaurants. And chickpea. They see bringing people together to break bread as a way to build friendship and community. In 2020, the Taste of Coexistence will be held on April 5th at Heritage Hall in Vancouver. Okay, welcome to the Refugee Portal podcast. Rabbi Bregman, he's, uh, we've actually been friends for over 10 years. We met uh, at the mayor of Vancouver at that time, Gregor Robertson, had a uh, a council, a faith-based council, to have a consultation with faith-based groups about ending homelessness in Vancouver. Right. And and that's how we connected. That's how we got to know each other. Then over the years, we participated in a number of interfaith gatherings. One after the uh, the Quebec shootings in 2017, and then the uh, the New Zealand uh, attacks, the memorials, and then for the Jewish community, there were a number of attacks in the United States. So we we tend to see each other on very serious kind of circumstances, but we become friends. Our communities have become friends, and even 
with the relationship. You're 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 the Rabbi Emeritus from Temple Shalom, and through working with you, you helped facilitated a youth exchange, um, having. Uh, a Q&A for the elderly of the Jewish community about Muslims and Islam, and then also uh, where Muslims from the congregation from the Al Jamia Mosque, Vancouver, which is the old mo- oldest mosque in British Columbia, to come and visit uh, services on Saturday um, at uh, Temple Shalom, and then the congregation who would have liked to come to the West Eighth Mosque came for our Friday prayers. So it was uh, an amazing exchange where a lot of uh, misconceptions were dispelled. A lot of uh, issues that I think uh, Muslims may have had or Ju- uh, Jewish people may have had about each other just by getting together, breaking bread, dispelled much of that misconception. So that's a long intro, but that was kind of the gist more or less of our yes. relationship over this this last number of years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, Rabbi Bregman, this is the Refugee Portal podcast, and we've intersected on a number of these issues. And so let's start off with uh, with basically an introduction to yourself, kind of your background in the community with Temple Shalom and the community work that you've done locally in Vancouver, and then we can expand on that. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for uh, inviting me here uh, uh, to be with you today. Um, so uh, I, I'm an old guy, uh, I guess, relatively speaking. Well, certainly older than the everybody else in this room. Um, I'm uh, 71. I was born in a small town outside of Toronto called Galt, Ontario. It doesn't exist anymore as Galt. It's now called Cambridge. And I lived there. My family uh, was there uh, for about the first eight years of my life, and then the family uh, we moved to Toronto. But those first eight years of my life were basically. Um, some pleasant memories, but also, uh, quite honestly, uh, I dealt with a lot of anti-Semitism back in the 1950s. In school, uh, people coming up to me and telling me that I was a Christ killer uh, and and found myself constantly uh, the target of uh, a tremendous amount of uh, hate and prejudice. came to Toronto, and that was a very, very different type of experience, of course, because now uh, I wasn't the only Jew in my uh, in my class or my in my school. Uh, there was still anti-Semitism, but uh, I actually wasn't alone in it in in terms of uh, dealing with this or fighting with this. Um, in any event. Um, uh, got connected with a uh, with a synagogue in in uh, in Toronto, and um, one of the things that uh, is very very key to the uh, concepts within um, Judaism uh, is this phrase tikkun olam, the repairing of the world. That we live in a world that is broken. That we each have a responsibility to try and repair what what is broken. And with that in mind, um, through the encouragement of my rabbi, I became very much taken with the oppression that was taking place uh, in the United States against uh, and the nomenclature uh, back in the 1960s and so uh, were uh, Negroes and then blacks and today African Americans. The Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement, exactly. And, um, you know, 
One of the things there, there, there was, uh, continues to be at times, a very, very um, uh, intense connection between the experiences of slavery uh, with regard to the Jews in Egypt, under the leadership of Moses and then a Pharaoh oppressing, and the experience of the African Americans coming to uh, the United States and being bought and, and so on, continuing on to this very day where there is not complete and total equality uh, uh, to our, uh, with our neighbor to the south. Uh, by the way, there isn't complete and total equality in Canada as well. Let's not think that uh, we're immune from this and that we're a perfect state. Far from it. Um, and one of the things that actually comes up every year within the Jewish calendar is this festival of Passover, uh, the liberation uh, of the, the Jews from Egypt, uh, back then known as either B'nai Israel or Hebrews. Um, I looked it up in 1862 there was a song published a known as a Negro spiritual called let my people go I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. it when Israel was in Egypt's land let my people go yes oppressed so hard they could not stand let my people go and this uh, 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 was a very, very profound song and spiritual uh, 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 prayer uh, within the black community. And, of course, it resonated within the Jewish community as well because they're using that example of slavery uh, back in thousands of years ago in Egypt. It made a connection. Well, the long and short of it is I ended up, when I was in high school, uh, starting a chapter uh, of something called the SCLC, which stands for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Now, what's a Jewish boy doing with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference? It was the main organization by my major hero in life, the late Martin Luther King Jr. That was his organization. That's where he led the civil rights nonviolent movement. And I started a chapter of the SCLC in high school. Uh, uh, and spent many, many hours um, walking and sitting outside of the American consulate in University Avenue in Toronto, uh, protesting uh, uh, for uh, uh, civil rights. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, I guess of all the pieces of paper that I might have up on my wall and degrees and whatever, you know, the most important and to me significant is a personal letter of thanks from the late Martin Luther King uh, to this young high school well, kid. A personal letter a from personal Martin Luther King. From Martin Luther King. King. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and and so. It made sense. I mean, these people were suffering, and uh, I was really feeling their pain. Uh, and, 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 and so the very famous statement by uh, King so resonated within me, no man is free until all are free. No man is free until all are free. So that is something that very much uh, shaped uh, a great deal of, of who I was and possibly who I would become. So, okay, so I finish high school, I go to University of Toronto, and I get my uh, bachelor's degree, and then I'm off to uh, rabbinical college, uh, five years, uh, first in Jerusalem, and then What, what made you decide to uh, go to rabbinical college to take the calling to uh, a, a spiritual um, 
occupation. You know, it's funny. Uh, you, you say the word calling. That's generally not uh, a phrase within Judaism. Okay. I'm, just, I'm telling you. Uh, okay. However, having said that, uh, you know, uh, we, we, of course, we have a joke for everything. And, and, the, uh, and the question is, uh, you know, did you receive the calling? And the answer was yes, and it was a collect call. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, I was very much uh, uh, influenced by my own rabbi, the late uh, uh, Rabbi Gunther Plaut of Toronto, who was very much involved in in human rights and civil rights, um, having escaped Nazi Germany, uh, came to Canada, and and so on. So he was a major influence. I took a look around. I had been involved in public speaking from a very, very young age, uh, back in the days of Galt and everything. And uh, and I thought, you know, what what do I want to do? And I thought about medicine, but then I said, ah, you know, I keep on fainting when I see blood. Probably not a good uh, <laughs> a, a choice. Um, I thought about law for a moment and, and, and thought, you know, can I really defend somebody that I feel is guilty and, you know, The ethics. Yeah, and, and, and so on. And, and so it, it seemed that these things came together philosophically, psychologically, ego-wise, and everything else to, you know, look at the rabbi and he gets up there every week and he has a whole uh, audience, a congregation. I said, this looks good. <laughs> this looks good. And thought, okay, I think uh, I, I want to try and uh, do this. And so I applied and got in, and and uh, upon my uh, ordination uh, uh, in 1975, I, I knew that I really didn't have enough of a back background vis-a-vis -vis, uh, dealing with uh, psychological issues of people coming and so on. So I decided, I went back to my alma mater, University of Toronto, and did an MSW. Uh, most of the coursework was just totally useless. But in the second year, I had a fabulous uh, uh, placement uh, uh, in Toronto, a Jewish family and child service with really unbelievable individuals, Jews and non-Jews working there as therapists and so on. And and that's where I really learned about the concept of out-of-the-box thinking. They were doing things uh, if there were drugs on the street and everything, we weren't expecting, they weren't expecting young people to come to our office. So they set up a trailer in Yorkville, which was the area where uh, all of the drugs were taking place. And they took, they took themselves to the place and got onto the street and in, in a real, and that and that had a profound effect on me uh, as well. Ultimately, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to put all of this together. I'm going to start congregational life. And my uh, and I chose to, uh, in, in within Judaism, uh, we're not sent anywhere. It's a relationship uh, where uh, both the rabbi and the congregation have to decide where you want to go. And I saw there was an opening uh, as an assistant rabbi in a place called New Rochelle, New York, in Westchester County, just north of New York City. Mm -hmm. New Rochelle is famous if you're a TV buff because it's where the Dick Van Dyke show. Okay. Yeah, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah in, in New Rochelle. And it was a very large... Uh, uh, suburban congregation, and I stayed there for three years as the assistant rabbi. And and uh, uh, how did you like being in the U.S. versus the the uh, uh, well, Canada? At, at, at that point, it it was uh, it was interesting. I I, uh, I found it a little strange, but uh, okay, okay, uh, uh, and uh, not like what it was today. 
you know, it, it, in no way, shape, or form. You mean the kind of anti-Semitism and bigotry and Islamophobia? Well, I'm talking about just just uh, the whole the the whole. There's a lot of right-wing trends that seem to be oh, very yeah. dangerous. Yeah, they were there, but they were more under the surface than uh, than uh, than they are today. Um, uh, United States is uh, just it was continues to be an interesting place. They think they're the greatest uh, nation in the world, and uh, uh, they act as if they're the greatest nation in the world. And uh, um, as I say, it was it was it was interesting. But when an opportunity came for me to uh, come back to Canada, I thought, gee, let's uh, let's take a look at it. At this point, I had now met. Uh, my wife, who uh, was a New Yorker and was uh, in in uh, business and uh, just an executive, was every month she was rising, rising, rising further, 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 major, major corporation. And I said, um, well, if you want, we'll stay here. And she said, no, you know what? I probably had enough, enough of corporate life like now, right now. Let's try something new. I said, okay. You ever heard of a place called Vancouver? And she said, yes. Have you ever heard of a place called Vancouver? <laughs> I said, I'm from Toronto. Of course not. <laughs> Nothing exists outside of uh, Toronto. Toronto. Exactly. Okay. But let's go. It's a bunch of hippies. Uh, you know, uh, let's go. Anyway, we came out for an interview in May of 1980, and it's what I call a sucker weekend. Yeah, the sun was yeah. shining, <laughs> yeah, and, and the big. people were sailing, and you could still see uh, some snow and grouse and everything. And, picturesque. And picturesque. And, you know, and I told people, you know, I said, wow, this is unbelievable. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm just wondering here, do I, do I need air conditioning? If I look, oh, no, no, you never need air conditioning. Or, you know, okay. So I remember when they started lying right off the bat. <laughs> 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 anyway, we came out here. For a two-year adventure, I came out to the Congregation Temple Shalom, which in 1980 was 65 families. And we had a very small building that had recently been purchased about a year or two before I got there on West 10th. It was an old Masonic Lodge and on two stories. And that's where I began uh, with Temple Shalom. And then comes January 25th, 1985, and I get a call at about 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's from the fire chief, and he said, Rabbi, uh, I'm going to tell you that your synagogue is fully engulfed. Oh. Uh, we have a three-alarm fire. Uh, it looks as if it was a bomb. Oh. And w uh, ran there, and I got the president and the, and, and the past president of the congregation came, and the whole place is... You know, the smoke is still, you know, uh, there, and uh, the whole building uh, had been basically demolished. And, and uh, we ran into the building, and the firemen are yelling, where are you going? You're crazy? You're running out. Because we had to get to the second floor, which is where our sanctuary was, and we ran. And the outside of the ark had, had very, very serious uh, damage, and we opened up, and the Torahs, the sacred scrolls, were still intact, smoke-damaged. Yes. Now, we had a couple of Torahs on the first floor in a portable arc, totally destroyed. Yes. It turns out uh, we had received word um, weeks earlier, not word, somebody tried to uh, uh, light a Molotov cocktail in our building uh, weeks earlier. 
And so we took, uh, we immediately said, okay, we've got to start putting up iron grating on our windows on the first floor. Mm -hmm. We had finished 95% of the job. The rest of the job was going to be finished that morning when the individual struck in the one of two windows that had yet been, they found the Molotov cocktail inside. Ah. Okay. Fortunately, no one was injured. I remember the next day, uh, we are now moving services uh, to the Jewish Community Center at 41st and Oak, and the first people to arrive uh, was the mayor of Vancouver and his wife, Mike Harcourt. Yeah. And uh, Mike and I had become friendly uh, and so on, and he was beside himself. He was so furious that this had happened to his synagogue in his city. That's how we understood it. Okay, he said, he said, you know, Philip, I know it's your, I said, no, he said, this is, it's my synagogue because it's part of Vancouver, mm -hmm. and I can't believe that this has happened under my watch. And, and he, he uh, uh, later on, he, he and Becky made the first contribution to the rebuilding of Temple, Sol uh, Temple Shalom, mm -hmm. uh, and so on. So uh, we, were, we were about three years in the making until we found a piece of property on Oak Street uh, around 56th, uh, 55th, and we ultimately built and moved in in 1988. Um, since that time, I mean, I've been subject, uh, subjected to uh, all sorts of uh, hate mail, uh, death threats. E um, even our guest uh, previously, Tony McAleer, I think he, yes. he did an anti-Semitic uh, attack on 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 your synagogue yeah yeah so he actually brought that up yeah yesterday yeah yeah, yeah. we we uh, uh, you know so uh, here we are building a new synagogue with uh, bulletproof windows and security and and so on and and um, it was a reality that uh, unfortunately I had to uh, uh, live with. And, and what's amazing is full circle, years later, he comes back to Temple Shalom as a speaker, as a former white right. supremacist racist to exactly. make amends. Exactly, exactly. Now I want to get back to, when I came to Temple Shalom, by the way, when I get to, came to Temple Shalom um, in 1980, um, and one of the reasons that uh, my wife and I chose to come here, uh, it was a small congregation. It was it was uh, very small at the time. It was uh, 65 families. It was a challenge. Uh, would I be able to uh, grow the congregation, which fortunately uh, my wife and I were able to do? Because when I retired uh, 33 years later, we were 700 families, wow, and, and so, so. But but um, it was the people and the commitment that they had, and one of the proudest things that they talked about was their sponsorship of Vietnamese boat people. D during the, the Vietnam during, War? During, yes. No, no, this is afterwards. This is in the 1970s where, uh, you know, the after the war, the refugees were out on the water yeah. and they were in these boats and countries would not let them in, by and large. Uh, okay, they didn't want to deal with these refugees. Yes. Uh, our synagogue brought in a couple of families and, um, you know, anybody who thinks that we should not accept refugees. Well, first of all, the reality is unless we're aboriginal, unless you're aboriginal, yes. we're all refugees. Uh, refugees. Yeah. We're all immigrants and we're all basically refugees. Yes. But if you take a look at the economics of it, this country benefits so much 
by having individuals come in and lend their talent and their energy and their and their drive and from these families that we have brought in uh, today I think uh, we, we brought in about uh, the family uh, congregation brought in about four or five individuals now they number in the hundreds their businesses are multiple uh, they have established themselves here. They contribute uh, to the economy in a phenomenal way and to the culture and to the whole uh, uh, aspect of, of, of who we are in Canada. And you took that leadership to make that decision on behalf of your congregation, we're going to do this. Well, this was actually done before I came. And, and so I, I had that, you know, so I've got these things swirling around in my head of experience. And so the next opportunity when there would be refugees, um, we jumped in, hook, line, and, uh, and sinker. And so our congregation has sponsored refugees from the former Soviet Union. We have sponsored refugees from... Uh, During the aftermath of the, the fall of, uh, of the Soviet Union. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And also from Sarajevo. Yeah, during the Bosnian War. During the Bosnian War. And then uh, most recently, uh, and my successor, Rabbi Dan Moskovitz, uh, continued that where the, uh, where the synagogue is, uh, has and continues to sponsor uh, Syrian and refugees. And what does this sponsorship entail? Like, like when, 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 um, when Temple Shalom sponsors a refugee, what, what happens? What well, does that mean? Sure. Now, the rules change uh, over time with regard to uh, immigration in Canada and so on. First of all, uh, people need to be on the uh, uh, on a list that Canada looks at and changes probably weekly as to who is considered a refugee and who is not. Okay? okay. So you really need Canada to step up and say, yeah, these people, because they will be able to come to a different line than people who are just waiting to uh, immigrate to, uh, to Canada. Okay. Now, having said that, you need to have the financial backing whereby you are going to be able to support uh, these individuals uh, for, for at least a year. At least a year. At least a year. So, so the temple would 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 put themselves up and say, "Hey, we're responsible for these folks to yes. get them up and running yes. for a year." We would we would go out. We would have a fundraiser within the synagogue. Uh, you know, uh, going back years. You know, okay, what do we need to raise? Well, we need to raise twenty thousand, and and then it was we need to raise fifty thousand, or now we need to raise sixty or seventy thousand dollars, and so on. To and then cover, cover all the expenses for these. All families. of the expenses and make sure. And and we're also covering, uh, certainly when they first get here, any medical uh, uh, needs that they may have. So, it, it, you know, of course we'll have money for that, but we also then go to doctors and dentists wow. uh, in the community and say, hi, we're going to give you the opportunity to perform a mitzvah, which is a, a, a commanded good deed. Yeah. I don't say, would you like to? say, we're going to give you the opportunity, opportunity to perform this mitzvah. And, you know... The person, person's going to look at me and say, "An offer no? you can't refuse." An <laughs> exactly. offer you can't refuse. Exactly. And uh, and uh, the you know the doctor, the dentist would say, "Okay, how much do you want?" I said, "I don't want your money." He said, "Well, that's a first, Rabbi." <laughs> he said, "Well, I don't want your money now, but the, any, to clarify a bit." <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you need? I need you to take on this family as uh, as patients. And and so uh, so in addition to food, shelter, clothing, 
the medical support from dental, medical, right. within the community. Legal, account. whatever Legal. they need. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, we have people within the synagogue who are going to commit volunteer hours, especially at the beginning, where these individuals are need, they're going to need uh, to be chauffeured from place to place. They're going to need to go and get uh, a social insurance card. They're going to have to apply for medical. And then we have to get the, if they're children, we need to help them get integrated into a school and a community and, and so on. So countless volunteer hours for absolutely. the community. To absolutely. Establish roots and, and to exactly. establish roots and get their bearings and get yeah. set up. Right? Now, if they're Jewish, uh, the people who are coming in, okay, so we've got the Jewish community community that we're going to then like a big blanket wrap them in and 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 so on and for many of these individuals this is so strange uh, they're not used to that they're not used to the people reaching out they're not used to people showing up at their door with food and toys and smiles and, 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 and smiles and love and if they're not Jewish then we need to find out what's the community that you can most closely associate with and will then make the connection between them we'll still be involved but we need that opportunity to be there uh, to give them this this uh, cultural landscape of, of feeling, oh my God, I have traveled thousands and thousands of miles or kilometers or whatever it is. I haven't landed on the moon. Um, they're speaking my language. They're 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 worshiping uh, somewhat similar to what I am used to. You know, what do they need? What do they need? They need something uh, for Christmas, or they need something. For, uh, you know, uh, are they going to be are they going to be dealing with Ramadan? Are they going to be dealing with Easter? What are they What are they going to be dealing? So it becomes. A cultural sensitivity, a religious sensitivity right. to their needs. Right. And we need to, like, full-on blast, find out what's out there and who we can best. And did you find the response within the congregation, was it was it wholly positive? Absolutely. I mean, we just, we had more volunteers, uh, you know. And then, uh, by the way, we would also then find uh, housing for the individuals. So we would go and set up, and, and usually it would be uh, a two-, three-bedroom apartment. We would uh, assume the rent and everything. But then we would also furnish it. Fantastic. Uh, so that when the people came in, the beds were there, the, the the linen were there, the dishes and everything. And we would also, though, but you know, we, we, we would provide not just the bare essentials, make it look at home, but we also wanted to make sure that there was money available so that they could go and make it their own. Not only from what they're bringing, but, you know, you need to, you know, uh, we're going to help you, you know, with a basic first shop of, of food. But now... Tell me what you like. So there's a lot of listening. And then we have to source out where to get this food or where to get that food or, you know. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, uh, it's one thing if you're going to Safeway, you're going to the kosher butcher. But if we are dealing with individuals coming from other culture, it's going to Jasmine on Main Street. And, yes, and, for and, the halal meat there. Exactly. And and, and it's all, it, it's learning what about them. And they are so appreciative that that we're we're doing this and it's and and uh, you know with the Vietnamese boat people you know they, they would say to us many times why are you doing this because we were once in those boats trying to escape and no one let us in we know what it's like after World War two yeah. after the Holocaust yeah 
So we know what it's like. We know what it's like uh, to be thrown out of a country uh, and and uh, uh, over over the last thousand years. So we know what it's like. Anyway, so these these various opportunities experiences uh, uh, really uh, uh, were very very uh, uh, very very powerful. Well, and and you were saying from Yugoslavia during the Bosnian time and the former Soviet Union. Yes. And in, in that context, because obviously the the folks from Vietnam Vietnam have a different requirement. The folks from the Soviet former Soviet Union have a different requirement. Yugoslavia, and then obviously the Syrian refugees. Now, uh, with the Syrian refugees, from based on your understanding of the congregation's support for the Syrian refugees, what was the the uh, the, how many families were brought, or how many individuals were brought? Uh, there, there were, there were, I believe, two families that are here now, and there's a third one in the pike, in, in the pipeline, excellent, uh, uh, waiting. And how is that with the obviously the religious and cultural thing, in terms of uh, them uh, being welcomed by the Jewish community and the Jewish community with the the Muslim community? It, it, it has worked out very, very well. We also had. Um, uh, a tremendous advantage in the sense that we are connected with a family where the husband is a Kurd and the wife is a Russian Jew. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. That's an amazing and combination. It is. And, and this individual's grandchildren go to the same uh, uh, school that my grandchildren go to, uh, uh, Talmud Torah. Um, and so uh, that has proved a tremendous help for us to learn, you know, because we're learning on the fly about what, you know, we need to do the sensitivities. And, and you know, the other thing, it's one thing with regard to the Soviet Union, uh, but when we're bringing people in from Bosnia and we're bringing people in from war-torn uh, Syria, we're dealing with another dynamic, and that is the trauma um, that they um, experienced. So, and so like mental illnesses, like depression and and PTSD and uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, yesterday, and, and, yeah. uh, yesterday we were actually hearing uh, from a panel of refugees, and what they were telling us was that not only is each uh, instance different, so Syria, Yemen, um, Somalia, Somalia, it's even within those uh, countries. There's differences. If you're a refugee who was at one point a middle class family versus someone who was a farmer, your needs, your challenges, and your experiences are going to be different. And they brought up the need for uh, psychological appraisal and support and differentiating. It's yeah. not just one word. It's not just refugee, and that's who you are. Yeah. They were making a huge point that if you don't differentiate and help people based upon their actual lived experience, then you're going to be doing them a disservice and yeah. perhaps even a harm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and you know, to, to a certain extent, we, we have that experience within our own community of dealing with uh, survivors of the Holocaust. You can't lump them all together uh, in the sense that, because they all went through different experiences. Maybe if you, even, even within the same concentration camp, but some were in different camps, some were, some were hiding, uh, we're, we're, we're being hidden by uh, righteous uh, Gentiles and, and, and like so Oscar on. Like Oscar Schindler. And e exactly. Different, all these various different experiences. So you need to listen to them and, and 
and listen to what they're saying and how they say it and and um, then pick up on 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 what you think they might need not by guessing and not by assuming but by doing what we call active listening really listening and digging deep into what is, what is going on here and at the same time being aware that uh, individuals are coming not necessarily from westernized countries okay they don't understand things the way we do uh, yeah for example when the when the um, when Israel um, in 19 uh, was it 91 uh, did an airlift of the majority of Jews left in Ethiopia right it was a phenomenal thing it was uh, uh, it was in uh, I think May of uh, 1991 35 aircraft uh, were sent and what they did was and this was all done without the general population even knowing it so the main uh, for security reasons for security reasons so the main commercial airline of Israel is El Al they recalled all of their fleet which wasn't that many and they painted over the sign the sign so you didn't see the star of David yeah and they so you couldn't see the Hebrew yeah and then they took out the seats on these jumbo jets wow because they were going to airlift just under 15,000 people in 36 hours so they packed people into planes yes okay and then they had to ha and 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 people I remember I had congregants saying you know I'm sitting somewhere in Paris and I'm uh, I'm supposed to be flying LL from Paris to Tel Aviv and no all plane. of a sudden we and he says no uh, we're now on a Delta airline we're now on a this airline what's Delta. I uh, you know and we going up uh, you know uh, what's the matter he said we were having mechanical problems and while that was going on the planes were flying back and forth under the radar literally and they came and they airlifted and they had incubators because two babies were born en route wow. and and we knew and so the doctors were they were being delivered on the plane and and so here you get these people that land now in Israel okay they're not coming from the 19th century into the 20th century I think some of them were coming from the 15th or 16th century they had never seen indoor toilets they had never seen a plane or been in a plane. Can you imagine somebody telling you, I've got to get into this can, and somehow this thing is going to take off, wow. and hours later, I'm, and these Jews in Ethiopia didn't know that any Jews existed outside of Ethiopia. Wow. And now they arrive in one of the most modern, technological, savvy countries in the world without a clue as to what to do. And Israel very quickly had to learn that they had that people there to show them uh, what a stove was. Wow. So were there major challenges in integrating huge, the country? Huge, yeah. huge, huge. And it, and it took quite a while. It took quite a while. That's almost 30 years ago. Yes. Yeah, coming up on the 30th. And, and so, uh, again, that was uh, uh, an, an unbelievable experience, uh, that, that boom, that took place. And... Uh, 
uh, and it, it, had a, it had a profound effect. Now, let's go back to Ethiopia because uh, there's a major organization uh, uh, within the Jewish community called the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. Yeah. Established uh, in 1914 yeah. for the welfare of the Jewish people around the world. Right. And and you were telling me there's an individual who's regarded as the Mother Teresa of the Jewish community for the work that they've done. Exactly. So uh, the work originally was trying to rescue Jews from anti-Semitic countries. All over the world. All over the world but primarily in terms of Europe and yeah. so on. Today, most of their work has nothing to do with Jews, but they still do it. Okay. So there's this young Jewish doctor by the name of Rick Hodes, uh, educated uh, in, in the United States and everything, a, uh, a very observant Jew. And he ends up in Addis Ababa, because that's where he wants to do his work. He's under the sponsorship of the Joint Distribution Committee. Uh, he has sponsored, uh, sponsored, he's adopted, I don't know how many Ethiopian children himself. He's a single guy. Um, and he is dealing, he, he is really sort of uh, Judaism's uh, Mother Teresa. And he's there on the ground. In the 1980s or 70s he started? He, yes. This yeah. is during, do you remember the Sally Struthers uh, infomercial about uh, starving children in, yeah. in Africa and when you need a helping hand? Right. It was the Ethiopian famine, actually. Yeah, it showed the, the kids with the distended bellies. Exactly. So during, during that time. That's what exactly. he went. And he went over and he saw that there were all sorts of congenital diseases. And there was no possibility that these people were going to survive. Uh, survive. And so he opened up a clinic. And more importantly there, he then started making connections with doctors around the world. Will you come here for a month? Will you come here for two months? And in, and in one particular situation, there was uh, an individual whose spine was like this. And unless, unless this individual was going to get major surgery, uh, he would die because it would just completely and totally cut off the airwaves and so on. And what was done ultimately through the generosity of specific family here in Vancouver, um, in connection with... UBC's medical department and VGH's medical department, the young man was airlifted and the surgery was done here and the post-operative was here and then months and months of recuperation at this family's house. And, and Rick had identified it, uh, this family somehow heard about it, and this one particular individual by the name of Gary Siegel stepped up and said, that's now my kid. Wow. And and uh, and brought uh, him. And brought him. Wow. And and just uh, took care of all of the medical bills and, and the months and months and, and, and so on. And that young man has now gone back into Ethiopia and is now doing phenomenal work and, and helping to identify other things and so on. So that organization uh, uh, is, is going there. The, and, and this is completely and totally under the sponsorship of the Joint Distribution Committee. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, I got to uh, l let me also tell you, if I might, there's an organization, my favorite organization in Israel is something called Save a Child's Heart. And Save a Child's Heart, uh, let's see, did I put in, uh, yeah, 1996. A bunch of doctors, starting primarily with cardiologists in Israel, and said, we've got to now expand our horizons 
and we need to be helping young children and babies with congenital heart issues. And so they opened up with donations um, starting first in Israel and now going themselves into African countries, okay? The majority of the individuals, I mean, these are all non-Jewish children yes. that are being either brought into Israel or the doctor will go to the country uh, where uh, the child lives. The only problem is with, with these operations. The operation is one thing. It's the post-operative care. Yeah, yeah, for the, the recovery. It's huge. Yeah, and, and in, in too many of the countries, it's not there. So they could they could do the operation, but the child would die. because. So in those instances, they simply airlift the child and, uh, the, and usually the mother uh, to Israel, take care of them, and so on. And this is going on. Um, it doesn't get a lot of publicity, of course, because people don't like good, good stories. <laughs> they don't like good sure. news. And so on. But this is happening every single day. Uh, every single day. Every single day, there are Palestinians coming into Israel um, under the watchful eye, uh, both of the army and the government. Uh, technically, they're in the country illegally. No one cares. They're coming in. They're having the operations. They're having the post-operative care. And then uh, when they think it, they're, they're okay, then uh, the Israel will uh, um, get them back to the country. That and this is done uh, by uh, a private organization? Or this is done by uh, Save, Save a Child's Heart. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and that was founded by who? Uh, I don't know the actual, uh, in, uh, his name escapes me. There's a couple of doctors in Israel who started this. Right. And, and and obviously, I think when people look at countries, just just like the yeah. term refugee, people uh, tend to view refugees all in the same way, where there's so many nuances and differences. As, as Yusuf was saying, there are some for middle class families, some that were farmers, and same in in uh, Israel and Palestine. People are of different uh, viewpoints. Like some are of a very uh, kind of cooperative, and everyone. Uh, yes. come together in peace and harmony and live together. And then there are others that don't want to even talk to each other. And so, you know, obviously, you yep. know, in this whole kind of experience with refugees, with the Palestinian refugees in in Jordan and Lebanon and that sort of thing. So, you know, there are refugees about, I would say, according to the UNHCR, 70 million refugees around the world today. And they're projecting due to climate change, war, many factors that this number is going to increase in nine years to 300 million. So it's going to keep increasing. And then again, every country is different. Every nuance is different. Every family, every individual is different. And so by helping refugees to self-determine, and the purpose of this podcast is to look at solutions like yes. yourself, you've committed to being a Canadian Jew. I'm a, I was born actually not far from the city of your birth. I was born in Oakville, Oakville, Ontario. Really? So okay. I was born in Sudbury. Really? Yeah. So, so we're, we're all, all a bunch Ontario of uh, boys. We've, <laughs> all, we've all escaped Ontario. So, so we're all Canadians. Yes. And and we have our our religious beliefs. Right. And but as Canadians, this humanity that we're connected to serve humanity and help people. Exactly. And, and so I think uh, you know with the great work that you've done over the years, uh, locally and abroad, you know, looking at these solutions, and. Uh, I'm looking at. Um, well, I like to tell you. I'll tell you an interesting sure. story. Uh, so, um, a couple of years ago, uh, a member of the Jewish community came to me and said, uh, 
I'd like you to uh, put on a program that is going to tackle and uh, get rid of anti-Semitism. And I said to the individual, uh, okay, I will also cure cancer and do global warming at the same time. What do you think? She said, whatever. Okay, good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that's a pretty... Okay. She believed. Okay. So, so, at the same time that uh, I've, I've been told by a member of the community, you know, have some type of program that, that you know, will deal with. So, I, I, I gave the... Uh, program. This was when I was, it was, was executive director of Hillel, the Jewish student organization on, our camp, on seven different campuses in the, in the lower mainland and in, in Victoria. Um, I gave this to my managing director, uh, uh, Jordana Shani, and another individual uh, uh, by the name of Rebecca Recant. Um, and Rebecca, I was able to uh, steal from New York from the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, she had a boyfriend here. It was nice. She came. And it was great. And so, on. so I went to Jordana, and I went to, to Becca, and I said, um, <coughs> I want you guys to come up with a program that deals with racism. Okay? And just think as far out of the box as you can. Okay. You know, we have this word in Yiddish, beshert, it's fate, that something should happen. Okay. While I tell them they're thinking and everything, one day this uh, student walks into Hillel, tall, good-looking young man, black, and says, is Rebecca here? I said, no, she's out for coffee, she's coming back, but stay here, cookies and everything else. I said, may I ask you how you know Rebecca? She says, well, I actually don't know Rebecca, but I know her dad. I said, you know Rebecca's dad? Oh, Rebecca's dad, Will Recant, is the executive vice president of the Joint Distribution Committee. And I said, okay, I'm trying to pick up the accent. Help me, where are you from? He said, I'm from Rwanda. Uh-huh. And if you excuse my directness, are you an orphan of the genocide? Yes. And did you grow up in the village that Will Recant built? Yes. After the genocide, in which a million individuals were slaughtered. We have to use that word because the... the, the it was... Machetes. Yeah. A hundred thousand a day. Okay. So, you know... A hundred thousand a day I mean, were, were being slaughtered. Yeah, at, yeah. at the highest levels. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So after this unbelievable slaughter, um... The Joint Distribution Committee met with some individuals from Rwanda and said, what do you need? And they said, we don't know what to do with our children. We don't know what to do with our orphans. And they said, what did you guys do? What did Israel do at the end of the Holocaust? And at that point, the Joint Distribution Committee said to the Rwandans, here's your airline ticket. We're going to Israel. We're going to show you. So they go to Israel and they come to this small little community and it's a village called Yamin Ord. 
O-R-D-E. Now, Yameen means strength. Ord is the name of an individual uh, British officer by the name of Ord Wingate, who helped out tremendously in the early days uh, of Israel and, and, and so on. And, and so they named this village after him, and it was specifically a village for orphans of the Holocaust. Okay? Now we're many, many years later, and he says, okay, so the village today doesn't have any, have any orphans of the Holocaust, but is used as a youth village for those who are come from homes that are financially, emotionally in distress. And so the village consists of Jews, Muslims, Christians, uh, 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 okay, living and coordinating, and 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 uh, the Rwandans take a look at this and said, "This is exactly what we need." He said, "Okay." He said, "So they said to uh, Wilbur Kant, so come to uh, come to Rwanda, and uh, look around, and we'll take you up in a helicopter and spot, you know, if you see some land that you think you want to, uh, you know, cultivate, and let us know." And and uh, Will finds the territory. He says, this would be good here. And the Rwandan said, okay, uh, we'll take it away from the owners. And he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not doing that. You put me in touch with the owners. We're going to buy the land. I don't want anybody coming back and saying anything was expropriate. We're going to buy the land. The Joint Distribution Committee is going to buy the land. And they did. And they bought acres and acres, not too far outside of the uh, capital of Rwanda, which is uh, Kigali. And, and so they built this phenomenal village, and they called it Agahosa Shalom. The word Agahosa is a Rwandan word for tears. And this is where orphans came, and they grew up in this village. And this young man, who was, was a student at UBC, grew up there. And he remembers <coughs> playing basketball with Will Rickant in the village. Huh, the founder. Yeah, and he said, I found out that his daughter is working here, huh. and I want to have a connection. At that point, Rebecca walks in. I make the introduction. I don't have to tell you about the tears mm. and everything else. And then it hits them, Jordana and Becca. Okay, we're going to have a program called Project Tikkun. We're going to take five Jews and 15 non-Jews and we're going to study for a year various aspects of racism, hatred, and genocide around the world. And what does tikkun mean? A repair. 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 So Project Tikkun means a, a repair. And we bring in, of course, individuals of the Holocaust, but we bring in individuals from Rwanda. We bring in aboriginals. We, 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 we did, uh, they, they put a phenomenal program together, and for eight months, twice a month, these students would come to Hillel and would spend a Sunday afternoon, evening, learning, uh, uh, processing, and everything else. And then at the end of this process, we're on, off to a trip, first to Rwanda and then to Israel. And uh, uh, when we came into uh, Rwanda, uh, uh, we were treated like uh, the biggest uh, heroes. And uh, Will joined us uh, for the trip, of Will course. Recant. Will Recant, who's Becca's dad. I mean, he walks into that place, and it's like, uh, 
You know? It's like Moses. Yeah, Moses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, 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 coming, uh, uh, coming in, and, and so it was a phenomenal experience. And we worked in the village and 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 w- with the children and everything else. And then we went to Israel and we went to Yeminor and we and we. T- People uh, through it, and it was it was uh, very interesting. We they met with Palestinians, they met with Israelis, they met. We wanted to show the good, the bad, the ugly. We we weren't there to uh, do propaganda or anything else. Get to see. Uh, we stayed at one of my favorite places, which is the uh, YMCA right across from the King David Hotel, in which is a uh, a Palestinian run um, uh, YMCA, but it's a great great looking lovely people were phenomenal you know and uh, you need kosher food we'll give you kosher food do we was have it, uh, fun to stay at the ymca <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah we sang and everything you know and and uh, and, and it was uh, and on this trip we we uh, we had muslims we had jews we had baha'i we had uh, sikhs uh, christians uh, a real multiplicity and and that was a, a, a really a very very important thing and the, and these kids have now come back and each one of them is doing something phenomenal in the world outside of their own uh, little bubble. bubble yeah. yeah, that's what we want to do. We expand that bubble. And it seems like your personal mission from the times of the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King and the desire to be part of something that's going to help the oppressed, the people that are going through their difficulties wherever they are in the world and, and make a difference locally abroad in your capacity. And I think, you know, as, as Canadians growing up here and we do have the context of our respective face, but it's uh, what can we do in my personal ability right now? And so, you know, just, just as a testament to the work that you've done over so many decades, uh, much more than anything that I've done to, to really contribute and, and to really uh, be of service to humanity. And it's, it's as we know, it's a thankless job, but it's, it's a great, great feeling to know that, hey, maybe if somebody's life could be better because of the work that we do, it's, it's powerful. Precisely. Look, look, the expression goes, by the grace of God, you know, uh, I could be in that boat. I could be sitting in that refugee camp. I mean, you know, if I have been placed here in this incredible country, okay, with all of its problems, okay, and believe me, we got problems, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at the rail lines. And, and, and even when, the course, native uh, yeah, relations, the indigenous, indigenous right, relations. Right, but still one of the greatest countries in the world. Absolutely. Why have I been given this gift? We, I'm not special. I'm not better. I'm not, you know, why? Uh, my only answer is that, and, and really, it, 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 without really sounding snappy, I mean, I, I've, I, I've got to give back something to, because of the privilege that I have uh, experienced, yes, along with racism, yes, along with, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been a walk in the park. And, and some people could use racism as a way not to do that like exactly pre- prejudice not to like exactly the, like like the girl that we interviewed she was called a terrorist and yeah. Yeah. but she's giving sandwiches on the downtown east side with people that are putting needles in themselves as a 17 year old girl old girl not using the negative to become negative exactly. so using the negative to become positive exactly and and so let, let, let me just bring up to to speed something that we've been doing and that we're going to continue to do with our two communities yes uh, between the mosque and the synagogue yes okay so a couple of years ago 
uh, actually about two years ago, we decided to have a program. Uh, we, we have a hot lunch program at Hillel, and we've been on running Wednesdays. this. On right. Wednesdays, yeah. yeah. Yeah, on Wednesdays. And, and we decided that we're going to, and again, the idea actually came from my, uh, uh, from my daughter, Jordana Shani, it happens to be my daughter, uh, married to Itamar Shani. Anyway, um, I'm talking about a different program, and, you know, somebody was having a taste of Palestine, should we have a taste of Israel? She says, no, no, no. You should have a taste of coexistence. I said, okay, what the hell's that? And she said, do you remember I took you to a, uh, uh, a great restaurant on Powell Street? I said, yeah. I said, do you remember who owns it? I said, I can't remember. He said, his name is Haitham. He's Palestinian. Yes? Okay. Well, Itamar, her husband, my son-in-law, and Haitham met uh, at the urging of Mohammed of Jasmine. The halal meat shop on Main Street. Because my son-in-law is the owner of Chickpea, which is right across the street on Main from Street. On Main street. I, I've eaten there. Fantastic. <laughs> Great <you>. portions. <laughs> I've been plug. there too. I've been there too. Anyway, I recommended it. And, and, and it was Muhammad that said to Itmar, there's a young guy opening up a restaurant on Powell Street. He's Palestinian. You should meet him. And he said the same thing to Haitham. And they'll tell the stories of, you know, all of the voices of their past coming of families saying, don't you dare trust this Israeli. Don't you dare trust this Palestinian. And and there are these such entrenched views on both sides. Like this, this uh, some have a positive and many have a negative right. view. So yeah. fortunately, these two young men who traveled thousands of miles from their homes, Itamar grew up in Israel and Haitham grew up in uh, Lebanon yeah. in a refugee camp, um, were able to put the voices aside and deal with the new reality here in Canada, and they met, and they met, and they are the closest of individuals. They're both in the biz. They don't see themselves as competitors. They truly see themselves as brothers. So what was developed was a taste of coexistence, and one Wednesday, the food would come in from chickpea, the next week, the food would come in from Aleph, A-L-E-P-H, and Haitham chose that because it's the first letter in the Arabic uh, and yeah. the Hebrew and the Persian alphabet. Yeah. Uh, uh, his food is fantastic. Uh, I, 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 you know, what am I going to say about chickpea? Of course the food is fantastic. <laughs> uh, uh, um, and, and Haitham is, is, is vegan-ish. <laughs> it's vegetarian, of course. And, so, and we had these meals. And I'm putting this whole program together, and I'm realizing, I said, okay, guys, uh, how much do you need for a meal? And they gave me a price, and I said, okay. Uh, and I think to myself, okay, that's absolutely fair, but it's more than the students will pay. So I needed to go out and raise money to subsidize this. So I started raising money. And I started, of course, within the Jewish community, people started throwing money at me. And then my daughter said, Abba, the Hebrew for, for, for dad, why are you just raising money in the Jewish community? And I went to the Muslim community. And I went to the Sikh community. And I went to the Catholic community, and the Protestant community, and the Baha'i community. And money started coming in. People felt 
so good about this. And then we had one event here where we, the two restaurants came together and we actually had the meal upstairs in the Grand Hall. We served over 1,100 meals wow. that day for free. Wow. wow. It was a freebie. And we did that. Uh, the, uh, at the end of one semester, and then we get it again the beginning of this year, and so on. And when it finished at the end of December this year, I said to the uh, to the gang, um, "Why don't we try and take this on the road?" What do you mean? Well, let's do a program off campus. Oh, by the way, and the people that came. Uh, thousands of people, students, administrators. By the way, uh, uh, President Ono threw money at me uh, when I approached him. You know, uh, the president of UBC. The uh, president of UBC. It was anything. If I can get Bregman away from me, I just give him some <laughs> money. Go ahead. Here, here. What do you mean? <laughs> Here's the money. Go away. Anyway, um, so it's okay. And we thought and thought, and I said, you know what? I want this to have sponsorship in the most logical place to do would be my synagogue and your mosque. I phone up this guy by the name of Tarek, who's sitting here. I don't think I had all of the sentence out when he said, we're in. We're in. We're in. And so this event is happening April 5th, uh, 3102 Main Street at Heritage Hall. Um, there are going to be three different sittings. Uh, uh, the, 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 there's a uh, there's a fee for the for the for the meal. Uh, uh, the, the restaurants are are really discounting the it's price. And they're doing the subsidy. They're not making any money here, but they want to do it. And and that is is uh, going up. And it's called Taste of Coexistence. The banner says Taste of Coexistence. Two chefs, one Palestinian, one Israeli. And we're opening it up to the community, though, you know, the, the problem is that that place only can seat about 150 people. We're having three different settings, sittings, yeah. and people will be able to uh, shortly, it'll be online, and people can register and pay and so on. But, but again, it's experience, and, the, and with each one of these lunches, it wasn't just the food. Hytham and Itmar would be present at each one of the lunches uh, at Hill and so on, and they would talk. They would talk about their experience. They would talk about their prejudice and how to overcome that and what they had to do and how they continue to be able to break down the stereotypical thinking. And they had to put aside the messages of their parents and family members back in Israel or Lebanon who are saying, don't, 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 don't. Okay, and and so it's like a retraining, and and so that's another program, and I am so grateful uh, uh, to the mosque. You know, you said at the beginning, you know, we get together. Uh, unfortunately, we've been, we've been getting together, uh, uh, not exclusively, but primarily at, at times of intense sadness, whether it's the massacre in Quebec City or the massacre in Pittsburgh, and and so on, and, and so. So here's an opportunity where we're getting together of a celebration yeah. on that April 5th uh, of our communities uh, coming together. And, and 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 you know what's powerful is by this exchange and breaking bread with one another because we, we've done that uh, yes. at, at, at both uh, uh, places of worship. And, uh, you know, I, I do recall one uh, time uh, Rabbi Dan Muscovitz, uh, he hosted a forum, a Q&A, yes. with uh, one of our uh, scholars, uh, Mufti Asim. And uh, some of the 
the conversation was getting, uh, I guess, uh, some people had some certain views, some entrenched views. And Rabbi Dan had a great line. He says, we're not going to solve the problem of Israel and Palestine at this setting. You know, that's that's what we can do in our capacity as human beings. We're here in Canada to meet one another, to work with one another, to help one another as neighbors here. Because in our respective faiths, a uh, neighbor has a right, a neighbor to have a right on, on your neighbor, regardless what their belief is, regardless of their background or their color. The neighbor has a right on us in, in both our religions. And so at the end of the day, there's so many big geopolitical things that uh, whatever anyone's interpretation of who's right, who's wrong, uh, the bottom line is what can we do in our capacity for the greater good in our ability where we are right now? And and you're, yeah. you've done a testament to that over the decades well. of service to our community. And we're trying to do that to an extent, and even with this podcast, like you see the the challenges in every country around the world, right? And and you're like, what can we do? And to give a voice and to have a recording like this that people can listen to. That hey, communities are getting together. People are trying to Absolutely. solve these things in Absolutely. their different ways. And by this, we can help change the world a little bit. It takes, I guess, at times, I guess the word is courage to take that step outside of your comfort zone to find out about someone else. You know, uh, uh, Yusuf, I, I, uh, as you know, I know your brother, uh, uh, well, you got a number of brothers, but the, the guy who was here at the time, uh, Ali and, 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 and his dear friend Salman, and, and I knew them uh, when they were here at UBC uh, through the chaplaincy yeah. uh, and, and so on. Um, fascinating that they took the step to apply to a certain contest that was being sponsored I think by Barclays Barclays and Techstar yeah yeah and the winner gets to go to Israel to to uh, 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 yeah and 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 for the, for the technology the, the incubator tech, yeah, the Techstar startup incubator was sponsored by Barclays uh, focusing on fintech this one was in Tel Aviv right yeah they were there for uh, for 3 months right three months, yeah. right and and the fact that they would apply, the fact that they would say, okay, if you know, not thinking that they were going to win, but if they did, my God, they're going to end up in Israel. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I just uh, you you can speak to it. Ali can say he says it was a phenomenal experience. They loved it and 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 so on. And his experience at the uh, 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 you know in in Jerusalem and so on. He was telling me where. Uh, he was going up to the Temple Mount, and some uh, uh, Israeli policeman is yelling at him and saying, "You can't go there. You know, it's only for Muslims." <laughs> Ali said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and his guide said, "Yeah, he's a Muslim." He says, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, he's a Muslim." Yeah. You know, but but again, it's breaking down barriers. It's taking that step and seeing where can I learn, where can I grow, because. People know that this is an international community in so many ways, you know? And if that virus teaches us anything that's going on today... The coronavirus. Yes. There are no walls. No. And it affects everybody's the same way. There are no passports. Yeah. Yeah. There's, no no, there's, no, there's no country, well. Yeah. Right? Uh, and and, and we got to, you know, we've got to come together. We've got to take those steps. And 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 challenge our own thinking oh. at times, and and not go to that default position 
uh, when you're in a car and somebody cuts you off and your first response is going to be that damn blank 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 whatever it is yeah, yeah. absolutely especially if the individual in that car does not look like you yeah. and and we we were just talking about this exact same thing yesterday i i had i i fell off my bike as i was right. telling you yesterday yeah. and i was like that's the least problem if majority of the people in the world i'm i'm recreational for exercise trying to lose some weight for an hour going through pacific spirit park and i just took a tumble and i got a little bit bloody scraped up a little bruised and i was like this is not that bad compared to other places so in the context like even we've been in traffic incidents where it kind of gets under our skin but in the context of what's happening around the world it's nothing exactly well, you know, the, the young lady we interviewed, Hiba, she was saying that because of her experience, she no longer gets stressed out about, like, tests or, or you know, getting cut off in traffic or people, you know, just being jerks or stuff. It's just like... Uh, because you see what it could be like. Exactly. You see how bad it could get. And if you survive that, you're like, what am I going to do to complain about such a small thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's an important thing. We, we would take uh, uh, individuals from the synagogue down to the downtown east side. Uh, and, and we did programs together also, uh, handing out sandwiches and everything else. It wasn't for the purpose of taking the kids going there and saying, oh, look how great we are. Yeah, yeah. I want you to know what's happening in your city a few kilometers from where you're living. I want you to see the conditions. I want the very least we can do at this point is provide some type of nourishment, but it's not just the nourishment, it's coming from a person at the other end holding out a hand, okay, and with a statement, I see you. Yeah. You're not invisible. You know, one of the the uh, memories that I have seared into my uh, into my head was when I was living in New York, uh, um, outside of New York. And one day, my uh, father-in-law, I don't know, called me, and uh, he was a stockbroker in New York City, and he said, uh, "Come on in for dinner and everything else." And I said, "Okay, fine." So I take the train in to, from uh, from uh, New Rochelle into Grand Central and something, like that. and I'm walking up Madison Avenue. And it happened to be in December. I think it was about the second week of December. Very cold. Okay. And Madison Avenue, uh, very, very wealthy stores and everything. And I'm watching this scene, and I can't believe it. These stretch limousines are pulling up. Individuals are getting out of their limousine. As they're walking into the store, they literally had to walk over some homeless people sleeping on the street in front of the store. And I, I, was, I was like, what's going on here? You're, and, I, and I stayed for about a half hour because I wanted to see, is anybody gonna reach down and make contact with the person that they're stepping over, going into a store in which in all likelihood they are going to spend in a half hour 10, 20, or 100 times more money than this individual will ever see in five lifetimes. Yeah. No one stopped. It was if the people were not there. And I thought to myself, okay, before I become a high and mighty and everything else, who do I not see? Who am I ignoring? 
Now, I'm aware of the fact that at a certain point, there has to be a cutoff. Uh, your nervous system can only uh, take so much stimuli, uh, otherwise we go bananas. Okay, but most of us are very, very far from that. Okay, uh, from that point of saying this is too much. Who are we not seeing, and and how come? And how can we begin to see quote the other, whomever that is. In this case, individuals who are in refugee camps and, and, and literally as well as figuratively dying to come into our country. Okay? Yes. So, so there are wonderful organizations around that you can get involved in, mostly through faith communities. Yes. Okay? Whether you're a Muslim, you're a Christian, you're a Jew, you're a Sikh, uh, uh, you're a Buddhist. Uh, 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 you know, uh, each one of us, each one of our uh, faith communities has a place that you can go and, and, and hook up to. And if you're not of a faith community, you can find other places that you can, in fact, do things, whether it's with the Red Cross, whether it's with Doctors Without Borders, okay, in which you can lend a hand, okay? Or go down to the gospel mission uh, and lend a hand. There are things we can do. That that and and and, and I, I tell you, it's incredible medicine. It is to relieve stress. Yep. And what I love about Canada and Vancouver in particular, all the faith-based groups and all the groups that that aren't even faith-based that have this heart to do this, like the BCMA. I think uh, last year was seventy-five families that uh, the BCMA, the BC Muslim Association, right. sponsored. The United Church uh, sponsored several families. Right. So most churches, synagogues, yes. temples, they went all out. Exactly what you were saying about active listening, um, trying to provide for all these different needs for the people, and the humanity of it. The uh, in our, our family's background is from India. Pakistan, and uh, there's an Urdu term. It's called insaniyat. This kind of humanitarian, this uh, this desire to help others, and uh, it's an amazing city we live in. It's an amazing country we live in. That that we come from all these different backgrounds, and the amount of people that want to give back and help people, yep. whether it's a downtown east side, newcomers yep. to the country, it's yep. an amazing thing to witness and be proud that hey, we're part of a country Absolutely. that is trying to do good locally and abroad. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Rabbi, thank you very much for coming and my, sparing your time with my us. My pleasure. And uh, last pitch, April 5th, April Sunday, 5th. Uh, Taste the Coexistence at Heritage Hall on Main Street. The publicity is going to be out very shortly. Uh, uh, whether it's a lunch, early dinner, or, or an evening thing, bring your families, It's uh, bring your children. And, and the age-old thing, break bread with the quote-unquote other, and this is how communities Absolutely. come together. Have some of the most fantastic food, ambience, and you get to listen to these two phenomenal individuals and chefs, brothers, colleagues, Hytham and Ithamar. Again, thank you, Rabbi. Rabbi, thank you so much. My pleasure. If you have any questions related to the Refugee Portal podcast, are interested in sponsorships, interviews, or ideas, please feel free to get in touch with us at refugeeportal.org or email us at info at refugeeportal.org.